This is the KPMG Current Conversations podcast, and this episode is a mission to advance society. Welcome to the KPMG Current Conversations podcast, brought to you by the KPMG Global Energy Institute. Current Conversations is a podcast series featuring in-depth conversations with the nation's top energy executives and luminaries to explore today's most pressing issues and emerging challenges affecting our industry. On December 11, 2020, Regina Mayer, KPMG Global Head of Energy, connected with Maria Pope, CEO of Portland General Electric. Oregon has been severely tested this past year by a pandemic, wildfires, and civil unrest. Ms. Pope highlights how her company responded to those immediate challenges, as well as how her 130-year-old company is leading a transition to a healthier, more sustainable future. I'm privileged to be joined by Maria Pope, CEO of Portland General Electric, for my latest podcast in the Current Conversation series. Thank you for joining me, Maria. Oh, Regina, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you. Terrific. Well, you have had an incredible career with a variety of experiences, and we'll be exci- I'll be excited to cover that with you. But let's start by talking about PGE and its mission. You lead the largest utility covering Oregon, serves about half of Oregon's residents and three-quarters of its industrial and commercial customers. The company's been in existence for more than 125 years. It's about 3,000 people. Tell us more about the company, its scope, its history, its mission. Well, thank you. From our founding, we have been part of the fabric of the communities that we serve um, and have really been instrumental in the growth of Oregon and in many ways the Pacific Northwest. I think right now, during the pandemic, being an essential service provider means all that much more than it has throughout ever in our history. Um, And we are really privileged to be um, an essential service provider, ensuring safe, reliable, affordable energy for all of our customers and the communities we serve. As we look to the future, we are really focused on decarbonizing, electrifying and developing a smart integrated grid that will be able to continue the reliable delivery of electricity as we've done for a 130-year history. Today, Oregonians expect more from their utility, and they want us to be delivering carbon-free, clean energy. They want us to be using electricity to offset other higher carbon intensive fuels and they want us to do so in an integrated smart fashion really leaning forward with technology as well as forming partnerships through customers and the communities we serve this is going to take all of us you're so right that the utilities have been an essential service and and to me have been some of the unsung heroes of the pandemic cuz you know ventilators don't work without electricity and we can't work from home without electricity. So I appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. Um, One of the things I was struck by your company's commitment is to DEI, as you call it, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and equity being so important to ensure all of your customers are treated equitably, as I know actually some of the decarbonization programs can result in economic disparities. So tell us more about what is DEI, What are some of the equity components, and how do you focus on that, particularly given in the pandemic, 
customers are not required to pay if they can't afford to pay. How is DEI working for you in the past as well as in the future? Thank you. You know, there's really two important questions in what you're asking. And the first is, during this period of pandemic, how we're showing up for customers. We were one of the very first utilities to suspend any DICS connections with customers and to bring uh, federal funds, state funds, as well as corporate funds to help offset uh, customer bills for those hardest hit during this period of time. And so we've been working in partnership with agencies, with our customers, and really leaning in um, to be of service to our communities and to our customers during this period of time. The second is really around our broader goals around diversity, equity, inclusion. And I am really uh, fortunate to lead a company that has a long and strong history in this area, and particularly leading um, the diversity summits that have taken place in Portland over the last 15 years. And today, we have five key goals that we're leaning on into the future. The first one is around leadership. The second one is around recruitment and retention and promotion. The third one is around training, not just training for all of us um, as uh, members at Portland General, but also additional training for emerging BIPOC, female, and um, other leaders who otherwise wouldn't have some of the same opportunities. Fourth, we purchase a lot of goods. Uh, We're one of the largest companies in the state of Oregon, and we have a real influence through our buying power. And then finally, I've heard loud and clear from my coworkers and everyone at Portland General that they want us to be leaders with regards to policy. And so we have reached out and formed relationships with many groups across the state and leaned in also when it comes to future legislation um, and topics at both city councils, um, county commissioners, and at the state level. It's great that you cover such a wide span, right, leadership, as well as recruitment, retention, promotion, as well as training, leveraging your buying power and policy. That's super comprehensive. I see a lot of times companies more focused on recruitment, retention, promotion, and missing some of those other components. Well, it's really through listening to our employees that we honed in on those five key areas. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes it more robust and, and real and transformative. So let's hone in on decarbonization now. Uh, Obviously, decarbonization is a major focus for the power industry, uh, as well as other industries, and and it's important for the future of our planet. I note that Portland General is committed to be 100% net zero by 2040, and you've accelerated the achievement of part of that goal with 80% carbon neutral by 2030. What is your plan for getting there? You know, there is no magic answer. Um, We're going to be working with our customers, uh, with leaders across the state. Uh, We're doing all we can to uh, lean forward. We just brought on the Wheat Ridge Energy Facility, which is in many ways a trifecta. It combines wind, solar, and battery power storage um, all in one facility. Um, And we've recently closed uh, the only coal plant uh, in Oregon. Uh, We're working uh, across the region to bring lower-cost energy uh, from different parts, excess solar power from the desert southwest, excess hydro from British Columbia and other regions. And really, I see this as an all-of-above set of solutions 
So that's interesting because you're also including the affordability piece. But what do you see your ultimate net zero mix being? Um, how much renewables and then is gas still a backup for intermittency support? You know, we're going to be maximizing renewables. We're going to be using the distribution system to help us with that reliability. Uh, we have terrific partnerships across the region with hydro producers, um, with wind producers, uh, with others. Uh, we're building one of the largest solar facilities right now in the state of Oregon. Um, and to the extent that we do not have the rapidly expanding technologies that we expect to have through 2040, we would need to rely on some backup gas. But, you know, as, as we have seen in the last decade, technological innovation will continue, uh, and we're very excited for the future and for new opportunities. I think you're right, Maria. I, I, I always say I don't think we've invented yet, or at least at scale, the new source of energy that will power us into the next century. But one of the other things I loved about your decarbonization plan was your own operating footprint, and not just emissions from your plants and retiring coal, but by decarbonizing your transportation fleet, more than 60% of your fleet by 2030, 100% of larger vehicles like sedans, SUVs, your forklifts. So tell us more about your own de decarbonization of transport for your commercial vehicles and then how you see that translating into those of us that might be driving along the Oregon coast or in the Pacific Northwest. So, first of all, transportation is the largest emitter of carbon dioxide in our economy today. Um, and so we felt it's really important to be part of the solution um, and to show up as a leader in this discussion. We're partnering with a number of others, but as, as we demonstrated our own internal commitment and leadership, we've made very aggressive goals with regards to electric vehicles um, of all of our light-duty trucks um, as well as uh, through some of our heavy-duty uh, trucks as well. This gives us the opportunity not only uh, to be an example, but also to learn in terms of engineering, efficiency, costs, and really be able to be a good partner to the fleets that ask us for uh, advice and help as they're transforming their fleets, whether it be Amazon, UPS, FedEx. We have a number of terrific partnerships. And I would also say uh, that uh, TriMet, our transit authority, which is the 11th largest transit authority in the country, is committed to a carbon-free transformation as well. And so we're working closely with them um, and all the way to Lyft, as well as to uh, uh, larger carriers such as Daimler Truck. We recently announced a great relationship with them where we're doing a demonstration project around batteries at scale uh, and heavy-duty transportation. Tell us about the I-5 corridor electrification process as well. I think PGE is one of the partners in, in that, and that, that's an exciting development. So we've been there from the beginning. Uh, again, um, it's a part of our philosophy of, of being good partners, uh, being good corporate citizens, um, and really expanding the opportunities. So this is a project that will allow for seamless charging uh, for vehicles uh, of all different shapes and sorts from the Canadian border all the way uh, to the Mexican border. Uh, and it's in collaboration with many of the other utilities along the I-5 corridor and will really be a good demonstration and an example to the rest of the country of what transformation can look like for a cleaner energy economy when we all work together. 
Yeah, it's great. And I, I tell my oil and gas clients all the time, you know, the utilities are going to be competing. And I think the I-5 corridor project is a perfect example of that. One of the other unique and exciting components of your plan that, candidly, I, I don't see enough of in today's plans is energy efficiency. You have a range of interesting programs, some targeted at consumers with inexpensive smart thermostats and auto-enrolling in demand response programs, you know, as well as programs targeted towards businesses that allow you as a utility to manage heating and cooling and giving them payback programs to the extent that they continue to allow you to make those interventions. Tell us more. Well, one of the things that I'm really fortunate is, is that Portland General has been a leader for decades in this area. And we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And our energy efficiency programs have been some of the most effective in the entire country uh, for more than a decade. Uh, what we're doing now in leveraging that strong base where more than 25% of our customers also buy renewable energy, we are working to integrate them into the energy supply system. And one thing that's really rewarding about our business is that our customers actively want to participate in a clean energy future. And so today, if you have an app on the phone, on your phone, you can opt in to reducing your energy usage during a critical peak time, let's say a super hot day when everyone's using their air conditioning or a super cold day when people are using electricity for heating, uh, and you can get a rebate on your bill uh, for using a little bit less energy. Um, and if you go onto our website, you can find a marketplace and rebate for thermostats and other equipment to save energy um, and uh, be able to participate in these programs. So we're really trying to not only do the right thing from an energy system standpoint, but engage customers in seamless and digital ways that work for them and make it easy. And Yeah, so it's easy for them to see it and they can participate and be proactive and know that they're playing a part in making the planet a better place to be. I like that. You're correct. You're correct, and they're also saving on their bills at the same time. Right. Well, there you go. You also have a virtual power plant pilot. There are very few of these globally, let alone in the U.S. Tell our listeners about it. Well, one of the things that's fascinating about our pilot, um, and again, this is this will be rapidly scaled, um, is that normal participation rates are in the single digits, maybe 15% at, at the highest amounts. We are seeing over two-thirds participation um, in a number of our areas. And these cross very, very diverse socioeconomic, historical uh, kinds of areas. And so we're getting really a good snapshot, um, not only of, of how this works for, for one type of community, uh, but as we talked about diversity, for a diverse set of communities across our service area. Uh, we have been extremely pleased um, in a short period of time with the rapid take-up rate. And again, people can participate in a clean energy future. They can save on their bills. Uh, and we can deploy smarter, more integrated technologies to enhance the reliability and lower costs for all customers. Love it. So let's turn to one of the reasons why we're working so hard on trying to reduce carbon levels, and that is the impact of climate change. Oregon recently experienced a series of wildfires. 
not necessarily unprecedented and not necessarily unpredictable, but as I understand it, the current fires resulted in the greatest num- number of structures lost and evacuees, so very disruptive. What are your observations as to what happened and what we can learn from them? Boy, this season was particularly destructive um, in Oregon, but also across the entire West. Uh, And our hearts go out to everyone um, whose homes, whose families, whose businesses were affected during this period of time, and particularly those in Southern California who continue to face the devastation of wildfires even today. So as, as we look at lessons learned, it clearly pays to be prepared. And a number of years ago, we looked across the West, we learned from what others were doing, and we got after proactive and um, extensive vegetation management. Uh, we also began deploying additional equipment, uh, both in terms of hardware, in terms of software, and in terms of communications to give us greater visibility. Um, and then thirdly, we hired the right people. We hired people with uh, forestry backgrounds. We hired people with wildfire backgrounds. We hired meteorologists, the right expertise, and then brought the right kind of training to our company. The next is is it really pays to have good relationships and be connected all the way from the federal level uh, at the highest levels of the Forest Service and BLM, um, the FAA, Department of Energy, Homeland Security, all the way down to our local communities where we were embedded in emergency response centers. And then finally, to make sure that we have the right data to inform the right decisions as we move forward. We've got to be careful on how we spend money money. We have a fair amount of restoration to do. Uh, and we know of no area where our equipment caused wildfires, but we did lose a significant amount of assets and we need to make sure that we're repairing those so that we can be reliable and resist- resilient going forward. Through all of this, I just couldn't be more proud of my coworkers at Portland General. Uh, about 20% of people were either evacuated or had their cars packed ready to be evacuated. And yet, day in and day out through this period of time, they showed up for our customers. That's incredible, right? Because they were being affected in the same way as your customers were, but they showed up to serve. Absolutely. So, so you have a background in forestry, and I know there's debates about what are some of the, the underlying reasons for these wildfires. What can we do better as a country, like to better manage forestry and vegetation to hopefully mitigate some of these devastating fires? You know, I have um, more than 10 years of forest products background, um, and it gives me a unique vantage point, um, and it gives me a knowledge uh, of different agencies, uh, of uh, different perspectives from a business standpoint, from a knowledge of the forest um, as well as utility equipment. And one of the things that has been really heartening to me is how we are all working collaboratively to get at these solutions, from the forest floor all the way through the highest levels of technology and observations, meteorology, um, hardware equipment in the electric system. Um, There is a great collaboration um, at all levels uh, of the utility sector, um, forestry sector, uh, states, uh, regional um, 
organizations across the West um, and federal agencies. So there's, um, you know, when you are faced with a uh, a common uh, threat, uh, it is really encouraging to see how people have come together to bring best practices to bear. Right, and it is a complex network of different players, as you pointed out, across government and and businesses and um, other organizations. It is, uh, but we've seen tremendous leadership from the governor of Oregon uh, to our commission uh, to regional leaders across the West, uh, all the way to the head of the Forest Service, Vicki Christensen, and many others to really proactively attack these issues, to share best practices uh, and, and learnings. And I think that's one thing that's particularly unique about the utility industry is we help each other and we share best practices. Right. Um, and okay. uh, we've been providing mutual assistance for years to California, but in many ways, we're the beneficiaries of so much knowledge as we come back to Oregon. Right. Well, no doubt 2020 has been an incredibly challenging year, and I don't know about you, but Maria, I'm really looking forward to 2021. But we've had COVID, we've had racial unrest, we've had these fires, you know, where I sit on the Gulf Coast, we've had an unprecedented number of hurricanes and weather events, but Portland as a city experienced significant disruption and emotion with the protests in your city center and the rhetoric from the federal government. How did that impact Portland general and what did you and your team do to help the city recover? You know, it has been a truly unprecedented time. Uh, and I believe that through uh, the reflection uh, of the entire year, uh, we have learned a tremendous amount. And, and we have been listening to community members, to leaders, um, and truly reflecting. We believe that as a company and as an integral part of our communities, that our purpose in many ways is to advance society. We think of that uh, generally first and foremost in terms of our products and services, uh, in terms of the decarbonization discussion we have had, in terms of the reliability, in terms of affordability. Uh, but we also believe that everyone needs to be included um, and that we have an absolute respect for black lives, for the uh, systemic racial injustices uh, that have uh, plagued our society, and that we are taking a leadership role in our community. Uh, but it has been very challenging, um, and my sense is, is that, uh, that these will continue to be challenging times uh, because we need to make very clear changes. I love that purpose to advance society. What better way to connect to a higher purpose? It's so well articulated. Finally, Maria, let's talk about you. You've had an incredible career, a bachelor degree from Georgetown and an MBA from Stanford. You've worked across multiple industries, banking, forestry, software engineering, and now as a utility. You served as a CFO in three different companies, and from CFO, you were elevated to the role of CEO of Portland General. No doubt, incredible accomplishments. What words of wisdom or advice would you offer our listeners who aspire to have similar success in their own careers? Well, thank you. And, and first I would say, love what you do. Um, do it well uh, and make a difference. Uh, I think it's really important. We tend to do well what we love, and we tend to love what makes a difference in the lives of others. I'd say the second thing is is to focus on what's next, to look around the corner. We live in tremendously exciting times of technological innovation, uh, of opportunity, uh, 
um, and really to look around and see what is next uh, and how we can be leaders in embracing change. And finally, I think, giving back and paying it forward, Uh, working with terrific people like yourselves um, and incorporating those who are coming up through the ranks. They are our future, uh, and all of us are here for just a short period of time, and it's really the organizations that we build, it's really the people that we enable, and their leadership that will truly make a difference. Did you grow up saying, when I grow up, I want to be a CEO? No. You know, I got here. (laughs) We all think about those sorts of things. Uh, And uh, no, absolutely not. I will tell you that when I was a little girl and people said, what do you want to do? There were not a whole lot of examples. Uh, And I did turn to uh, the evening news. uh, And uh, I would uh, even though I was terribly shy, I would say, oh, Barbara Walters. Uh, That's someone that I'd like to be. Um, I've obviously never met Barbara Walters. Uh, but she was she was an inspiration to me, and, and quite frankly, uh, then people stopped asking me the question as a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we share that, Maria. I wanted to be the next Connie Chung, so I'm dating myself as well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, you have a family, three children, so how do you balance a busy professional life to spend quality time with your family? And any tips or tricks for our listeners that you've adopted during these quarantine times. Boy, you know, I think everyone has their own balance. And I think if there's anything I would say is to respect your gut, uh, follow uh, your heart, uh, and find your own balance. As I said, you got to love what you do, uh, and we have to all be whole people. I am so fortunate to have a great family, and I learn every day from my 25-year-old son, uh, my 23-year-old son, um, as, as well as from my 15-year-old daughter. I think particularly from my 15-year-old daughter, I am learning a lot these days. So I am, I am blessed. <laughs> There's no question. Yes. <laughs> That's terrific. Very, very insightful and inspiring words. I, I love that. Love what you do. Do it well and make a difference. Pay it forward. Enable that next generation and be a whole person. Outstanding. So thank you for taking the time to share your insight and perspective with us, Maria. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I really hope I get to meet you in person one of these days soon. I do as well. Thank you so much. And thank you so much also for your partnership. It's always a pleasure to be able to work with you, your firm. Um, and it's, we all need to stick together. This is, going to be a, this is going to be tough as we move forward. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast episode on a mission to advance society. A transcript of this episode is now available on the KPMG Global Energy Institute at www.kpmgglobalenergyinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to the KPMG Current Conversations podcast to be notified of new episodes.